Welcome to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. We are twin brothers who are pastors in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We talk about faith, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, culture, and anything else we think is interesting. Thanks for joining. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we are continuing interviewing Bishop Pre-Nominees for the Office of Bishop in the Sierra Pacific Synod. Today, we have the Reverend Katie Grinberg on. Pastor Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. It's going to be fun. Uh, I'm, yeah, we're looking forward to this. Uh, so the first question that we have is, uh, tell us where you're serving now and, and what conference you're in. Sure. So I am the Director of Contextual Education and a lecturer at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley. Um, so that is in the Bridges Conference 5? question mark is that i don't know what number they are um, i don't know the numbers oh yeah i don't know the okay numbers at i was all. like i we didn't when i was around and we did these things we just had the numbers because so i don't remember what anybody's number is um but i'm not actually rostered in sierra pacific i um because i've got a call through the church-wide expression of the church through the church council my ross i'm actually rostered in um the pacifica synod and technically connected with the hukilau conference um which is the are the um Congregations um, in the state of Hawaii. There are worse conferences too. <laughs> <laughs> it's where I it's where I interned, and so that connection <laughs> still exists. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Have you hey Have you heard about uh, anything going on with uh, Maui and? Uh, yeah, and, I don't have any specifics. I'm just kind of getting what other folks are getting okay. through the email. Like my friends in. Honolulu, they were putting on a benefit concert um, to raise some money. I know there there's some immediate goods that are needed that they're trying to gather on Oahu and get up to Maui, um, but I haven't heard any specifics, and I don't have any direct connections to Maui, so yeah, yeah. I'm just Understood. kind of wait, waiting and praying like everybody else. For sure. For yeah. sure. Well, well, Pastor Katie, we want to, for people to get to know you, and rather than kind of say, "Tell us about your childhood," well, um, we 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 uh, we want to know um, what is your your one of your favorite childhood memories, mm. and it can be either inside the church or outside the church. One, huh? Um... So it's not a specific memory. It's just kind of like a thing that I treasure about how I grew up. Um, and when I was a in early elementary school, we lived in a neighborhood in Bismarck, North Dakota with a lot of families with kids about our age. I have an older brother who's about two and a half years older. Um, and then in fourth grade, we moved, when I was entering fifth grade, we moved to a very small town. Um, so, what I just really appreciate at this point in my life about how I grew up was um, we kind of ran wild. Um, <laughs> behind our house, there was um, something outside of the Plain States. Most people don't know what a coolie is. Um, it's a, it, it's kind of like a, it's usually has like a creek running through it and it's just this big divot in the earth kind of in the middle of town and our backyard in Bismarck ran into this coulee and my dad made a swing on the giant oak tree. And so we were just kind of running in and out of each other's backyards through the coulee and in the small town, um, you know, it, was, it literally was a mile square 
or a mile by a mile. Um, and so um, it was, you know, be home by be home by sunset and in North Dakota in the summer, that's late. Um, and so I just loved having that kind of freedom and um, the bonds that the kids made with each other outside of like adult supervision. All right, for uh, everybody who's watching on YouTube, uh, we are back and listening on our podcast. Uh, uh, we had a, a, a technical malfunction and and if you notice, uh, Josh is has another background now because he had to move locations. Um, uh, so, uh, Pastor Katie, a, a lot of people they, they only kind of see the 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 public facing part of being a pastor, and and they don't really know what pastors do in their off time. And so, what do you what do you do in your off time? Do you have like any hobbies, any any interesting kind of things that you do outside of the office not at all interesting but i do have hobbies um i i moved to oakland two years ago this past summer so i'm re-establishing patterns in oakland because a lot of what i do in my off time um is connect with friends and other people um i love a nice coffee shop i love a nice microbrewery i love um meeting up with folks to go for a walk or even just sitting on the couch and catching up. Um, I um, am horribly unathletic, but I like walking and I enjoy, I'm a fan of sports. So um, I watch, I am a spectator of many different types of athletics. Um, I knit and um, mostly probably in my free time, I'm either reading, if I'm at home, I'm reading or watching movies or TV of some kind. Nice. Nice. That's cool. Uh, do you, uh, do you knit anything specific? Like, uh, like, are you, do you do sweaters or do you do scarves? What, what's that? Pretty much anything that doesn't have to be pieced together. Got so <laughs> yeah, blanket, scarves, shawls, good. If it's anything that has to get sewn together, it's probably never going to happen. So I've learned to just not put myself there and right. just <laughs> things that are one piece. That's awesome. Right. Uh, do you have any, like, um, you know, of course, as as Christians and Lutherans, our, our spiritualities are very important. Do you have any sort of um, spiritual practices or disciplines that you really cling to? I, um, I've had different ones in different seasons of my life. Um, and, um, and then, you know, as I fall into a rhythm and my life changes, then I find new rhythms. And so I'm still in some ways finding what the rhythm in, I'm just starting my fourth academic year at PLTS. And so, and every year has been so different that finding my rhythm and what the demands of me are in this work. So I haven't, I haven't completely settled into what this season looks like, except that the Wednesday worship at PLTS during the academic year has become a key part of my spiritual life. Um, and um, prayer um, late in the evening and early in the morning as I am preparing to go to sleep and after I wake up in the morning. Like I, um, <laughs> one of my hobbies, I guess, is um, going to bed. I love going like I will love the whole ritual of it I love the crisp cool sheets I love how comfortable my mattress is 
Um, and I just like there are nights and evenings I climb into bed and just I'm like, oh. and I, once I settle in, um, and often before I pick up the book, I will do some meditation and some centering prayer time and same thing first thing in the morning. That's awesome. Mm. Um, so in, you know, in ministry, there are all kinds of ups and downs and, and you, 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 uh, have the unique experience of being in the parish, right. Mm -hmm. And then being in the Senate office and then being, uh, on, on staff and at PLTS. And so in any, any of those regards, um, can you tell us about a success that you really cling to, especially when things are going rough? Yeah, I think right now in this season of my life, it is, um, well, first of all, one of the best advice, pieces of advice I got when I think when I was in seminary or on internship is I had an experienced pastor say, Anytime you get a thank you note, and now I tell students email, put it, print it off, print off the email, save the card, save the letter and put it in a box. And so when things have been really rough, I've gone to that box and um, read through notes from people who specifically, I don't save things that are super generic often but if there's something very specific I'll go to that and so for me it's like this realization that that my words my presence my you know mediation of the spirit or reminding people that they are loved by God has made a difference in their life I think that's where I go to mm -hmm. um, when things are rough um, and so right now it is um the random text or the conversation from a student or the off comment about how much that thing that I said that I might not even remember saying mattered to them. Um, and I think when it's the student that maybe feels like it's the biggest struggle to connect with or that is, um, or I'm just not really sure I'm doing and saying the right thing when it comes from one of them, then it really is kind of a special, extra special like affirmation. What I really like about the way you answered that uh, Pastor Katie is, is that we don't always know the impact that we have on, on a ministry. And so like those notes and words of affirmation that we receive, it's like, oh, that we might not have thought anything about it. And, and then, it, you know, it, it has a special impact on somebody or a special service. And, and we don't really know that until, you know, it's, sometimes it's just another day in the office. Right. And, exactly. and then, but, that, but, and, and you're like, oh, wow, that I'm so glad that that was helpful for them. You know? Uh, so they, I really like the way you answered that. Thanks. And, and if yeah. you're listening or you're watching this on YouTube, if you send a card to your pastor, send a card, <laughs> uh, you, you know, and, and th they will keep it. Um. Yeah. Or your youth worker or your church musician or your, I mean, my gosh, the parish administrator who receives so few, like those kinds of kudos, like if you appreciate the work they're doing, yeah, your pastor for sure. But all those other folks who make the place run. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> you, I don't know if you remember this when you were in the Senate office, but uh, every year, Katie, I would send Girl Scout cookies 
to the synod office oh, um, uh, because my daughter was selling them and I just needed to, you know, I wanted to appreciate the synod office, but I was just trying to get rid of cookies. Yeah. And, you know, we had a, we had one pastor who would just randomly send us Pete's coffee cards hmm. and just say like, thank you for what you're doing. I know you're out on the road. Use this when you're with somebody kind of thing. And, um, and that mattered when I was doing that work. And it matters when folks do it for the people that are working with them in ministry. And um, yeah. yeah, and it it doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything big. I think that's the thing. Right. Like we always are looking for the big thing to show our appreciation. And sometimes it's just somebody taking three minutes and writing a note and taking the op or taking the effort to address it and put a stamp on it and get yeah. it in the mail. Like somebody going to that effort. Um I don't even care how eloquent the card is like it's the the effort and the thought behind that really really matters so much yeah I, I really thanks for saying that yeah do you um okay we're gonna switch gears a little bit um so there's three expressions of the church right there's church-wide yeah. there's the synod and then there's you know the local congregation uh what do you think the primary function of the synod office is what are the primary functions of the synod office um, well, they're listed in your constitution, Pastor Josh, but, um, but I think it's, it, I don't know, when I was working with uh, Bishop Mark, we had the, the seven C's, I think there were five C's, somebody, there were some number of C's, and I never, I always forget one, so I'm not going to go there. Um, but that, I mean, there, there are some, there are some constitutionally mandated functions of the Senate office, and so I think that those are important to, like, hold in mind as we think about how that middle judicatory level functions. Um, I think Senate offices and that middle judicatory level of any denomination function um, the best when they can resource each other or resource congregations and leaders, lay leaders and rostered leaders. Um, when, because you're, you know, it's kind of that 10,000 foot flyover and you see and are talking to so many people so that when um when somebody in um aptos is doing a um community gardens and somebody in another part of the synod is talking about oh we'd love to do a community garden and you know being able to say oh the people in Ap Christ at aptos just did this let me connect you with somebody there and they can talk to you about what they learned about doing this right i think that's a function um i think it you know it's not sexy but it's important i think the accountability is super important um and that includes um you know the discipline and those things we think of but also like really paying attention to the call process and the kinds of rostered leaders and the people that are coming in to the Senate and, and more than just, are they a good fit for this congregation, but are we, are they going into a community where they can thrive as people and with their families mm. um, in, in all that they are um, and to be a place that when there is not so great behavior, um, to be a, to be a place where people can bring that and, and, and know that something will be done. Um, I used to say that the playground monitor is the least popular person on the playground, but it's what makes the playground safe for everybody. Yeah. Um, so I think those are, I think it's also, um, I think the Senate office also gets to be, or the Senate gets to be a place 
that creates the spaces for connection. So synod assembly and other gatherings where we can come together and become this critical mass of Lutheran Christians in Northern California, Northern Nevada, and pray together and sing together and build relationships and be together in mutual support and consolation and play together. Um, and so I think it, it has for me, and I know this is just, and I see it this way because of the way my brain is built is it's this, it, I think at its best, it's deeply about connections. Mm. Really long answer to get to that one word. No, no, no. I, that, that's great. But it has I all those that. layers. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I think one of the things that Josh and I have heard from, from people in the synod is this need for a strategic plan. And so how would you go about creating a strategic plan? Not necessarily what the plan is, but yeah. how would you like create a strategic plan for our synod? I wouldn't start right away. Mm -hmm. um, I think the first thing that's needed is the connection. Um, I think for several reasons, I think partly because we're just all getting reconnected in our own communities and faith communities at post COVID pandemic part, like we're not post COVID, but during the pandemic part, right? So we're, we're, we're figuring out how to be connected in our own communities. Sierra Pacific historically has been a fairly contentious synod in the church um, yeah. and gathered in assembly. Like, you know, folks who were here 30 years ago, talk about how synod assemblies were like one of their least favorite things to go to. And so we've never played well, fought well, communicated well. Um, I don't, I mean, I, there probably have been seasons of that for people who've been around, around longer than me, but it's always, there's always been some kind of contentiousness going on. Mm -hmm. And so, so how are we getting to know each other and, and doing some form of connecting and, and being together? Cause the first part of the strategic plan has to be listening. Um, and, and so, so I would want to be gathering, you know, kind of a la community organizing in some ways, like help, helping people like do a listening campaign and coming together to talk about what are, what are people hearing from folks? Um, but it's a huge synod, right? Not just geographically, but it's about 180 congregations plus wow. ministries, plus agencies. And so it's going to take time to do that kind of listening campaign. And, and then, um, and so I think it's a matter of, you know, getting the office of the bishop staffed and functioning and, and working then with the synod council to talk about what listening campaign looks like and getting them on board. So it wouldn't be something that I would want to do straight out of the gate, um, but building the found the foundation and the, the groundwork and the capacity for doing that um, would start with listening right off the bat. And so I think that's where I would be starting with the folks that are already in place and the folks that start, you know, alongside alongside me if I were to be elected um, to really start listening and then start to build capacity for people to do more listening and wider listening so that we can go deeper. Because there's no way one, 10 or 20 people are going to be enough, right? Like we need, we need a wide network and that just takes some time. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's good. I, I really like that. Um, 
that you start with listening, right? That's I think that's that's really important. Uh, just kind of tangentially, you said that that there's this synod has like been contentious from <laughs> maybe from the outset of the ELCA. Uh, uh, I wonder if like we need more opportunities for like public confession and forgiveness in that connecting space. You know what I mean? Like we've wronged each other. <laughs> And we yeah, have, you know, well, that's an interesting thought. You uh, know, if Lutherans did this thing, what I what I keep thinking is what we need is, and I don't want to say a because I think it, there needs to be more than one. Just this one, strictly geographically, I don't think there's a way to do it just in one spot. But we need revival. Like we need, hmm. we need to be deeply rooted in prayer and listening for the Spirit and being connected with one another in that way as well, because that's where our commonality is. Yeah. We can spend all day talking about how we disagree. Um, I, I was talking to somebody from Churchwide, I don't know, probably now eight years ago, and just kind of lamenting about kind of like how everybody always seems to find something to argue about. Um, and they pointed out that this part of California is like literally battling with each other for resources, right? You think about water coming out of Het Hetchy, you've got San Francisco and the Valley, like literally fighting for water. Mm. Um, and other parts of Northern California are in competition for resources um, or just kind of want to stay out of the fray. I think Northern Nevada just kind of hunkers down and hopes California gets its stuff together and so they can pop in sometimes, right? Um, and sometimes I think Northern Nevada hopes we remember that they're part of our synod. And right. and include them in what we do, right? Yeah. So um, so I think that there's also, I've just been wondering, is there a way to think about this as being, you know, can we come together in ways that are countercultural to this part of California, right? Is this a way that the church can be countercultural? Um, that we're, you know, in this part of the world of the US, we're not going against the same kind of social force, cultural forces that some other parts of the country are um, as a progressive mainland denomination. But maybe this is a way that the church is being called to be countercultural and to be cooperative rather than competitive with each other um, amongst the different parts of our synod. Do you have any ideas like what that, like how that could, like you say, it's countercultural, like how would that play out? Like connect those yeah. a little bit maybe. Yeah, I, I don't really know. I'm, you know, I, I've got lots of wonderings about things that might take steps in that direction. And I think the two combinations of listening and revival are, are kind of like where I keep ending up and listening. Yes. Like that's part of, of how I function. Like I, I want to hear people's stories and make the connect. That's part of the connecting part. Revival is not necessarily part it's not not necessarily it's not part of my spiritual dna um historically except for the fact that i come out of um uh i born and raised lutheran and so i, I come out of this kind of norwegian lutheran piety that takes really seriously the power of prayer hmm. um which as i understand it is really at the heart of what revival is um and so and but it's it's like this it's not just a personal it's this communal and so I would want to be like, you know, talking with folks um, about what do they want, you know, what what do they see as needed? And I think that that until we're able to really understand the connections that we have with each other and what we have in common and we center ourselves there, more than just 
more than just saying it, right? Because we've all said it, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're united in our baptism. We're united at the table. But we don't act like we are often. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not just in the synod, right? That's just part of what people call out as the hypocrisy of the, of the you know, Jesus disciples. Um, and so how do we, and I don't know, like, I think for me, it's a lot of wondering right now um, of what does it look like to create this space um, that, that then creates other spaces, right? right? Like, so, so imagine a Senate assembly where you come and you've got a variety of Bible study leaders that are all centering us in the same text throughout the 48 hours. And the keynote speaker is somebody who's teaching us how to do one-to-ones. And you learn how to do a one-to-one, -one, you see it modeled, you've been centered in this text, you turn to somebody that you're sitting next to and you do a one-to-one -one with them. Mm. And that the whole synod assembly is about like being centered in this text and doing one-to-ones and then small group, whether that's your table or your conference or your metro area or rural congregations and urban, con right? Like there are ways to, to, to design this, I think, I've got a hunch, um, that would leave people thinking more about what we have in common than fighting over the Oxford comma in that resolution. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm a fan of the Oxford comma, but, um, but if assembly was about connecting with one another, doing the needed business, but like at the heart of it, like we're here to connect with each other through through the spirit um, as just fellow disciples of Jesus. Um, if that, if we all come in knowing that that's the goal, what, how does that change we're, how we're together? And I don't know, because we've never done it that way. So. Well, you're, you are speaking to my evangelical heart when you talk about revival, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, because I, I think that, that, you know, really the purpose of revival is, is for people to have changed hearts towards God and towards one another. And, and that takes real, um, it takes real flesh when we, we see each other, not as competitors like you said but but as as co-witnesses co-workers and and extensions of each other's ministries mm -hmm. we're not I, I mean one thing i think every church should know is we are not battling each other for the small amount of lutherans in the bay area we are a right. christian church who is witnessing the gospel and 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 trying to to spread the good news to everyone who hasn't heard it. Sorry, but I'll get off my soapbox. That need to be reminded, right? Like I think. Amen. That, yeah, Amen. Right. right? And sometimes yeah. that's those of us that are preaching. <laughs> Amen to that too. Every, every every one of my sermons that that I preach is to me, <laughs> and I'm letting 100%. people listen to that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, you mentioned in your uh, paperwork, uh, yeah. you, you you talked, you kind of talked a little bit about climate change, uh, creation care, and and racism, kind of mm -hmm. as things. What do you think the church the church's role, our synod's role, would be in addressing those issues? How is you as bishop, how would you lead our synod in making those kind of priorities? I think it comes in. Um leading by example, 
it comes in preaching and teaching that resourcing that I talked about before. Um, and I mean, I think when it comes to the to the climate and ecological justice, I think this synod has an amazing, or I know the synod has an amazing resource in the Center for Climate Justice and Faith that's housed at PLTS. Hmm. Um, the Cynthia Molabita, who's one of the faculty members here. So I think, you know, whoever is elected bishop, I hope they see the center as a partner in ministry. They're they're doing global work, but you know, the fact that it's physically located in Sierra Pacific is a huge resource for the Senate. Um, and and I th I think that, you know, the there is or there was um, a Synod Green team. There are people who are really passionate about this. And I think in the same in, in the same way that like being a congregational pastor, having people who are passionate about a particular ministry, I, I see it the same, like your job is to empower and support and resource um, and pray for the folks who are really passionate about that ministry. So I think in some of the ways the bishop can do that is just give people permission and room to run. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think one of the big questions coming into the next few years of the synod, and I think one of the reasons why folks are, are focused on like a strategic plan, also, it has to do with finances, right? And so what kind of financial um, resources do we have to deploy? I, I honestly, at this point, don't know because I haven't seen a budget or projections um, or financial statements. So I don't really know like the financial situation. So um, I would hope there would be some kind of resources, either personnel, um, uh, you know, whether that's a staff person that's connecting with a team like that. Um, but when it comes to race, anti-racism, um, I really do think that that we need to just unapologetically and boldly um, keep walking forward, following the leadership of primarily BIPOC folks who are leaders in this work in and outside of our church, in and outside of our synod. Um, and that my work as a white person is to um, follow the lead of folks who who have been doing this work a lot longer and more deeply involved. Um, I think it's continuing to name the, the sin of white supremacy, white body supremacy, as some people talk about it, um, and continuing to just remind myself mostly, um, but also other folks that when you look like me, every system in our country, including every system in our church is designed to privilege and center my experience. Now I'm not male, so it's not a hundred percent that way, but I am, you know, I, every other privilege marker I hit. And so, um, so a lot of the work in that leadership is reminding myself of the privilege that I inhabit just by how I am in the world. Um, and listening, not just listening, but seeking out people who have different experience, lived experiences, believing them when they tell me what their life is like um and and then um and then i think as bishop in particular you've got a very um unique opportunity because you are the the person of bishop is invited into a lot of places with a lot of of visibility and so what does it look like to take that visibility and that microphone that you're handed and introduce the person who really 
who they need to hear from because mm -hmm. there are very few people who need to hear from me, right? They need to hear from whoever. And part of that is, is like identifying the folks who are um, willing to share their story. Cause I also don't want to just turn this into, um, you know, asking people to, to re-traumatize themselves by telling their story to a bunch of people who don't believe or haven't realized yet that life isn't as easy for everybody as it has been for them. Um, so I think it takes a lot of discernment, which for me is always communal. Um, I don't know what the status of the racial and ethnic ministries discipling team is, um, but I would want to kind of wonder with the synod council and the leaders in that in those ministries to think about like what is their role in 2023 and beyond, um, and how do they envision themselves and and what kind of resources would they need um, to do this work. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's just a matter of always recentering and reminding ourselves who is not at the table, um, and how how do we how do we rectify that? Um, and in this synod at this time, the bench is pretty shallow in a lot of areas, and so you know how do we recognize that and look to the churchwide expression of the church um, and the resources that the different ethnic strategy offices have. Um, for helping us think through um, how how we are being present um, and making sure that we're hearing um, and and honoring and respecting um, other people's experiences and stories. Yeah. It's messy and it's complicated because people are messy and complicated. Um, and I wish there was like a silver, silver bullet answer, but if I had that, I would be a gazillionaire and not necessarily talking to the two of you today. <laughs> <laughs> to do all of this, Pastor Katie, you're gonna you're gonna need staff. And yep. um what gifts do you envision you needing in your synod staff? to complement your style of leadership? Hmm. I would want people with whom I can be honest and who will be honest with me about the good stuff and the hard stuff, being able to sit in those hard conversations about when we have messed up um, people of prayer and, um, and love for the, the church. I don't mean the institution, but the church and, you know, disciples of Jesus who are people of prayer, who, who listen carefully in discernment. So I think it just in general, that would be kind of what I, you know, the kind of people that I would be privileged to work with. Um, as far as skills go, I think, um, you know, it, it, there's this administrative level of the folks who are really like in the nitty gritty of making sure that the synod runs um, financially and, and um, there's a form for everything. And so make sure, making sure the forms are tracked and filed and all of that kind of stuff. And those are important roles. And so I would wanna make sure that we've got folks in those roles who are gifted in finances and administration and um, hospitality because it 
right? It's a it's a community, it's an outward facing kind of role, those roles are. Um, and I think in some ways, knowing like the gifts and skills of people as we figure out who has what for like executive staff or ministry staff would have in their portfolio will kind of depend on on who who those people are um because i've had like the privilege of doing a lot of those ministries and and i'm not set like the bishop has exactly these four things in their portfolio in addition to like i wouldn't want to I, I don't want to assume that because mark Holmrood or dave mullen you know, had global ministry and whatever the other things were that they had in their portfolio, that that's what I would need to do, right? Like, like who, who are we gathering and where are the passions and the gifts and the skills and the capacity? Because the bishop is like a lot of the bishop's time is taken up with churchwide expression stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and so, right. So I think the other skill and gift that that other ministry focused staff folks would need is, um, you know, you need to be an independent worker and you need to be able to be keep coming back together. Um, and so it's the sense of being interested in being collaborative, but doing that in a very independent way, which is just a really odd way of, of thinking about those two things. That makes How's sense. That dodging your question. No, no, that was, no, no, that that was great. great. Yeah, that yeah. was a great yeah. answer. Do you think, um, so, you know, sometimes the, the bishop's uh, office is going to get called in this situation. Do you probably know this more than most? Uh, the, a congregation is going to be in conflict. Uh, it's going to yeah. be in conflict with itself, with the pastor, with other members, with the synod, um, you know, and it's really important for the bishop to, when the bishop gets called in, to help with that, you know? So what do you think your like own style of conflict resolution is? And, and how do you go about handling conflicts like that? Um, a lot of breathing and prayer. Um, I think, you know, when you're the person that's being called in, like the, I think the biggest work that, that I have to do when I'm that person is in my own self-management of, like I'd, I'm not convinced it's possible to be for anyone to be a non-anxious presence. My goal is to always be the least anxious presence in the situation. Um, <laughs> well said. <laughs> That's which, good. <laughs> which for me entails breathing um, and centering myself um, physically, um, and and then because that gets me in the place to be able to listen. So I think for again, this comes back to listening. Um, and the office part of the job of the bishop and the office of the bishop and those who act on the office of the bishop's behalf um, is to hold certain boundaries and expectations and you know conduct of behavior. And that goes back to the, the um, playground monitor being the least popular person on the playground. Um, sometimes, I mean, almost all of the time, by the time it gets to the office of the bishop and the, the office of the bishop gets called in, the conflict has progressed mm. to a place where it may seem like it's intractable. Mm. Um, so, so I think a piece of it is, you know, 
having streams of communication so that hopefully before things get too far down the road, you're getting some word that something's up and being in conversation with the congregational president and the, the pastor or the deacon called to the ministry um, or whoever the leaders, whatever the leadership of the congregation looks like, um, checking in and finding out and what resources are needed. Um, there are folks who specialize in conflict mediation um, and, and in a lot of conflicts, it takes time and it takes repeated like returns to work through a process. It's not like the bishop and four people can show up or three people can show up like in a bishop, like the constitutionally mandated consultation process and solve anything And when you do a listening, which is what that process looks like in the constitution. Um, and the bishop and, the, and the, the staff usually do not have the time to, to, or the capacity to give that much time to a congregational conflict when if you if it takes repeated meetings and and listenings and and negotiations and so i think it's really important to think about who are the people within and without the synod um, who can be part of a conflict mediation team i know that that was something that at least a, while, a few years ago was under discussion about like the pastors um, and lay leaders in the Senate who've been trained as coaches and in family systems and, you know, kind of coming up with a group of people who would be, um, who have the gifts and skills and the willingness to be people to walk with congregations in that way. Mm -hmm. um, because it, 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 it's beyond the capacity of one person to really work through a complicated congregational conflict and be the bishop of the Synod. Like you can't, there's just not enough time um, for that person to be the person that really walks through with a congregation what might be like a six-month process. Um, so there, and there are groups, um, and it takes congregations putting often financial resources that direction. Um, and, um, but, you know, for smaller things and for more immediate things that might take three or four sessions, um, what, who are the folks in the synod um, that have the gifts and the training or have the gifts and are interested in the training that might be able to be um, deployed that way. Um, and we find those people out, see, I'm cycling back here by doing listening. And because part of that, those one-to-ones is capacity building because you find out what people's gifts and skills and passions are when you do those one-to-ones and all that listening, those are the questions that, that are being asked and, and discovered. And um, I think that's just essential because um, partly because of the pandemic and partly because of other things the Senate has gone through, we are in a rebuilding phase of a lot of things. Yeah, um, And so I, I firmly believe I have been um, over the last five years um, more and more convinced that, that a lot of the things that community, a lot of the the tech, the skills and the the tools that community organizers use, can be really helpful in these rebuilding moments. And um, yeah, uh, uh, thank you for for that. And I like how you talk about bringing in other resources and listening as a part of all of that. Um, as you were preparing, you know, to be here, right, and thinking about you know, being on this podcast, um, is there a question that that you thought to yourself, 
gosh, I really hope they ask me this question. I didn't have a particular question in mind, I guess. What I, but as I think about how I would want people to know me and what they would want to know about me, yeah. I guess, would be like two things that, that at heart, I am not particularly well behaved. Um, and so, and that just comes from being like, really feeling like joy is a, a, P, a spiritual gift of mine and a spiritual, like, like, I feel like I'm kind of on this quest for joy Amen. and not, and not but like balanced out. Uh, if I think about the movie inside out, right. Like how, as, as Riley matures, um, joy and sorrow become more and more intermingled and partners. And so that's like, for me, that's it. And, and, um, and, probably not notoriously because I'm also kind of sneaky about it. I'm not terribly well behaved in public spaces. Um, and so, so I don't know that a lot of people know that about me, but I'm pretty fun to sit next to in a meeting. Um, yes, you so are. I, think, I can second that. <laughs> uh, uh, and I think that the other piece is that I work really hard or I would want to be really transparent um, to the to the extent that we can be in the office of the bishop about what about what folks are doing, um, you know there are some there are some synods in the weekly newsletter kind of have a little summary of like these are what these people did this week. I think there's some really I think that's just a really good practice at least at the beginning, um, if not ongoing for for the the whole term. I think it's helpful because the work is is atypical for ministry and it's opaque to a lot of people and they don't even think about the synod most of the time until they wonder why are they budgeting money toward the synod and um, when they need something like that's when the synod gets in people's minds um, and so how are we how are we through communications you know expanding the idea of what we're doing um, or or being transparent about what we're doing um, and and to me that comes from like off, off being authentic and how I show up. I'm I'm fairly consistent, I think. I don't know, the two of you can probably be a better judge than me, but I try really hard to just kind of be, this is who I am and mm -hmm. and this is this is how I would, so what you see here is how I would be showing up, um, uh, misbehavior and all. <laughs> That's great. Okay, I think Jeremy, did we get through all of them? Did, I, did we miss any? No? no? Okay, now we're doing our lightning round. Uh, <laughs> hydrate. All right. So, so 10 questions, uh, yeah. answer them as, you know, as quick as you can, you know, uh, okay. I, I usually need to take a breath to make sure the filter is working. So go ahead. No, it's all good. It's, uh, uh, you don't have to answer them super quick, but you know, as, as fast as you can, what food could you eat every day? Potatoes. What, what's your favorite movie genre? Classics. Ooh, nice. Salty, sweet, or savory? Salty. Nice. Uh, in addition to the Bible, because every pastor would probably say the Bible, which book would you want with you on a desert, deserted island? Mm. Okay, I don't know how many people even know about this book, but my parents had one on their shelf. It, it might even have been a Reader's Digest thing. It's called Treasury of the Familiar. And it's this fairly thick tome that has short stories and poetry and just a lot of, so 
for the same reason I would want the Bible, which is a variety of genre. Mm. I would want like treasury of the familiar. That's cool. Um, what fills your cup? Time with friends. And what depletes your cup? Cranky people. What is your favorite holy place? The beach. Mm. What one piece of good advice have you been given? Turns out it's not all about me. Mm. Except it was, turns out it's not all about you. But <laughs> was the advice. What does rest look like for you? A book in my comfy bed. What do you hope God will say to you as you enter the pearly gates? Oh, it's you. Uh, beautiful. Well, this is the Reverend Katie Grinberg. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you both, Josh and Jeremy. It's been a delight. This is the Surrounded Brothers Podcast. See you later. <laughs>